Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. Hello, this is Alan Jetty. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Physical Therapy, and I want to welcome listeners to this PTJ podcast. I'm delighted to welcome as my guest today Dr. Joel Stevens, who is Assistant Professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Pittsburgh. Welcome, Joel. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to have the opportunity to talk with him about an article that he and his colleagues recently published in PTJ entitled Early Outpatient Rehabilitation and Health Service Utilization in Medicare Beneficiaries with Non-Traumatic Knee Pain. Uh, the objective that Joel and his colleagues had for this article was to really examine the overall healthcare utilization that is associated with the management of knee pain. And they looked at the proportion of people who received outpatient rehabilitation services, and they looked at, in particular, the timing of rehabilitation and the association of timing with other utilization parameters. It's a really interesting study, Joel, and let me begin by making note and asking you, were you surprised that only 11% of Medicare beneficiaries with knee pain were exposed to outpatient rehab compared with 40% who had non-surgical invasive services? Yes, we were somewhat surprised by that. Previous published literature, you know, estimated that the rehabilitation or rehabilitation would be used in about 15 to 30 percent of patients with knee pain. So we expected to see a higher percentage, especially given our broad definition of rehabilitation services. We operationalized uh, the definition of outpatient rehabilitation to include various interventions that are recommended in clinical practice guidelines, so exercise and other non-pharmacological services or procedures, and that was independent of the setting in which they were delivered, so they could be delivered within a physical therapist's office, a physician's office, a chiropractor's office. So we used a very broad definition of rehabilitation. So we expected a much higher proportion of patients to receive that intervention. Yeah, I was really shocked. And it was interesting when you looked more closely at who received outpatient rehab in different timing. Uh, 52% received rehab services within the first 15 days of what you defined as the index event. And 27% had services within 16 to 120 days which you referred to as the intermediate group, and 21% had late exposure. What do you think explains that distribution? And again, were you surprised by that? Well, I think what, what does explain that distribution a bit is, again, our broad definition. And so, you know, we were looking for any outpatient services, and again, we were focused on the procedures or the interventions themselves and not necessarily the, the provider. You know, typically with physical therapy, there is a delay because there is a, you know, the, the referral needs to take place, an appointment needs to be made, and then the patient needs to present. You know, by taking this broader view of rehabilitation services and not making it dependent on the clinical setting, uh, we did expect to see a fairly high proportion of individuals receiving early interventions. 
I was also struck by your findings of regional variation. And the South had the highest proportion of beneficiaries with uh, knee pain, 38%, followed by the Midwest at about 25%. But the Northeast was 19% and the West 16.9%. Those are quite significant differences in prevalence rates. What do you think is going on there? Yeah, they, they are quite different. And from the data that we had access to, we weren't able to determine why those prevalence rates differed so dramatically. However, you know, I suspect that what's going on here has to do with, you know, a couple of factors that we know have similar geographic distributions. Uh, for example, physical activity. We know that physical activity tends to be uh, lower in the south region and the midwest region compared to the northeast and the west. You know, so there's been published literature to show us that. Also, obesity rates, which are associated with knee pain, obviously, differ significantly across geographic regions. And so, you know, we find that the obesity rates are highest in the south. And next comes the Midwest, Northeast, and then the, the Western region. And so our prevalence rates for knee pain match, you know, very closely prevalence rates for obesity and then lack of physical activity on the flip side. Your article is an interesting illustration of what we can learn from looking at large data, in this case, the Medicare beneficiary files. But let's move on to some of your major findings. What I saw is really your major finding is the association that you report on the early use of outpatient rehabilitation services with lower use of narcotic analgesics, injections, as well as knee surgery as compared to beneficiaries not exposed to rehab. Now, were you surprised by this finding, and where does that take you in terms of your thinking for rehabilitation professionals? We did expect or hypothesize that we would see a reduction in medication use, invasive procedures, and, and surgery in the early rehabilitation group. And you know, our hypothesis was based on the clinical practice guidelines that recommend exercise and other non-pharmacological approaches as first-line management for patients with this condition. So, you know, we were, I guess, <laughs> encouraged to see that the data did bear that out, that if you do get patients, these early non-pharmacological interventions, their use of other, you know, more invasive or risky procedures were diminished. You know, one of the challenges with this kind of work is that you're limited to the variables that are in the data set. And in your multivariate analyses, you did control for comorbidities. You used what you referred to as a functional comorbidity index and it captured the presence and absence of 18 different health conditions. But you did not directly control for severity of condition or function, if my memory serves me correctly. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. And so you're right. You know, with strictly claims analyses, we are limited to the data fields that are available. And so we didn't have a measure of physical function. We didn't have a measure of severity of the condition. And that definitely is a limitation in our analysis that needs to be considered when interpreting our findings. Now, we did choose to use the functional comorbidity index because we could map the 18 different comorbidities to IC nine codes that are available in the claim 
claims data. And the functional comorbidity index, you know, is focused on comorbidities that specifically affect physical function. So we felt like that was our best alternative given the limitations of the data, but definitely we would like to have been able to control for physical function and or the severity of the condition. And I would agree with you. I think it's a reasonable approach given what you had in the data set. Let's go on to another finding that I, I also think is quite important, actually. You report significant racial variation in narcotic use with higher rates among older African Americans and older Native Americans, and its association with the odds of receiving non-surgical invasive procedures, which are higher among Caucasians. And the odds of having knee surgery is significantly lower in these data for African Americans, Asians, and Hispanics compared to Caucasians. These findings are both striking and really rather disturbing to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, in, in looking at, you know, disparities in pain management in general and not speaking specifically to knee pain, you know, the racial minorities, especially the African-American community, is generally under-treated for pain and they receive, you know, fewer prescriptions for pain medications and so forth. We saw the opposite in this population, so older adults with knee pain. And as you point out, the narcotic use was much higher in the African-American and Native American group, you know, compared to the Caucasian population. However, conversely, their ability to access or receive non-invasive procedures such as, you know, cortisone injections and or surgeries to help improve function and limit disability were significantly lower, which points out a real issue, I think, to the delivery of care here in the United States. Yeah, it certainly raises for me an issue that rehabilitation professionals need to be focused on going forward. Agreed, yes. Going on to another finding, concern has been raised about the rising total knee replacement rates and potential overuse of these services. And it was interesting to me in your data, only 11% of beneficiaries who underwent surgery had any outpatient rehab services in the six months immediately preceding. Do you think this is explained by differences in severity of knee pain or something else that's going on? Well, I think it's multifactorial. So yes, certainly there could be patient characteristics such as, you know, the level of severity that are influencing our finding here. Also, you, you know, we have to keep in mind the limitations to the data set that we had. So we only had two years of claims that we could look at. So in order to follow patients for a full year after their index event, that only allowed us to look back at their history six months for all the patients in our cohort. So perhaps patients had received physical therapy prior to that six-month period. They received it, they failed it, and then now they're back, you know, and so they didn't undergo a second course or another course of therapy or other rehabilitation services prior to that surgical intervention. And so some of it may be patient characteristics that influence our findings here. Some of it may be, you know, limitations in our data set. Makes sense. In your article, you talk about when exposed to early rehabilitation, beneficiaries that, as you say, you followed for 12 months were much less likely to progress to knee surgery. 12 months strikes me as a rather short period of time for that type of association. 
Is that something you're following up on to look at over a longer period of time? Yes, we would like to, and we agree with you uh, that 12 months is a short period. Non-traumatic knee pain, the condition that we were looking at, can have a long and variable course. And so not only would we like to understand better the history prior to the index event, we would like to follow these patients longer over time to see what kind of impact rehabilitation services can have on longer-term healthcare utilization. Before we end, Joel, I'd like you to comment, if you would, on given the findings in this study, what do you think are some of the implications for rehabilitation professionals going forward? Well, I think that, you know, in the management of knee pain specifically, musculoskeletal conditions more broadly, that the rehabilitation community, you know, has a, a very, very big role to play. And I think currently there's a confluence of events that may make both providers and policymakers more receptive to this message. You know, we have the opioid crisis that is at the top of everybody's mind, which is a real issue. And for knee pain patients, non-pharmacological approaches are evidence-based, they're part of the guidelines, and should be considered. Also, there's greater appreciation of the need for interprofessional practice and collaboration and a recognition that different professions can bring unique knowledge, skills, and training to the table to improve the care and, and management of patients. So I think at the community level, therapists and other rehabilitation providers, you know, need to do their best or continue to educate not only their referral sources, but their patients about the benefit and the unique skills that they can bring to help manage this condition. Also, for many of the listeners out there who are part of larger health systems or rehabilitation organizations, uh, there's a great focus now on population health. And so working with providers within the systems and colleagues from other disciplines to help understand how patients can be directed or moved to rehabilitation environments to get these interventions that can potentially decrease the use of opioids or other more invasive procedures. I think that's very important too. And then at the policy or payer level, you know, professional organizations like the APTA I know have Choose PT campaign and they're working with policymakers and payers to try to identify strategies and approaches to make sure patients can get these early interventions. And then finally, I'd say, you know, for the research community, it's important to not only begin to look at or continue to look at clinical interventions to manage this condition, but also to consider interventions that will help implement these types of interventions for patients in pragmatic settings. And so not only looking at the clinical intervention, but how can we guide or direct or get patients to rehabilitation providers and settings so they can get the evidence-based interventions that can be very helpful for them. Boy, I couldn't agree more. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time today to talk about your work. As I said in my introduction, I really enjoyed the article. I would encourage readers of PTJ to take a look at it. If you haven't seen it yet, I think it's a really important piece of work, and I want to thank you and your colleagues for publishing it in Physical Therapy. Thank you very much.